Let's turn to our sermon text then for today, which is Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 through 33. Last week we had looked at the first part of this chapter and saw how three strangers had come to Abraham's tent there at the Oaks of Mamre. Uh, He was sitting in the heat of the day, and these three men, that's what they appeared to him at least, three men came up to him, and Abraham and Sarah had eagerly shown them hospitality. He's running this way and that, uh, quickly, 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 let's get everything together, and they they, uh, provide a feast for these strangers. And the Lord himself had come to Abraham in this way. Uh, either by manifesting his presence and word through the three angels, or as more commonly thought, appearing as one of those men uh, with two angels. And the Lord promised Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would bear a child the following year. Now, at first, Sarah laughed, thinking it was incredible. Uh, But she learned through the gentle correction of the Lord to trust and believe the Lord, for nothing is too hard for him. Well, now the strangers, or not so strangers anymore, are going to get up and move on to Sodom and Gomorrah. So let me uh, pick up the narrative then in, chap- in verse uh, 16. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord, by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. 
He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, For the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, you have given us your word. Uh, You have uh, brought brought it to us today, brought us to it. We pray, therefore, that you would not let it be uh, ineffectual, but that you would teach us and instruct us, cause our our minds to be receptive, uh, to be attentive, to receive the instruction you would have for us, uh, that we might uh, grow in grace, that we might be built up, convicted, edified, that we might practice it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you saw in the reading from Isaiah, uh, Abraham is called God's friend. In fact, three times in Scripture, Abraham is called a friend of God. In Isaiah 41, Abraham, my friend. In Second uh, Chronicles 20, as the people pray to God, they, they remind him of Abraham, the friend of God. And then in James, in the New Testament, uh, James notes that Abraham is called a friend of God. So Abraham is, is known as the friend of God. Both in Old Testament and New Testament, the word for friend basically comes from the word for love. Uh, that he is one whom God had loved. He is that, that friend. By entering into covenant with Abraham, God had made Abraham a friend of the king of all the earth. Now, Abraham did not become God's equal. Uh, often our friends are, are, are equals, uh, basically. But that's not the case here. He remained subject to God. We'll see in this prayer, reverent toward God. But he had become the friend of the king of all the earth. Imagine if you were a friend of the president. You know, that would be, that would be uh, depending on the president maybe, but that would be quite a privilege, you know, that you know the person that everyone's looking up to. Well, imagine the fact that you are indeed a friend of the Lord God. Abraham was the friend of God. He shared the loyalty and fellowship of friendship. And we find this friendship demonstrated in that God chose Abraham. He set his love upon Abraham. He revealed his thoughts to Abraham. He opened his mind. He, he did, did not remain a mystery to him. He, he, he revealed what he was about to do to Abraham. And then he listened to what Abraham said as Abraham drew near in prayer. He became accessible to Abraham. The word friend is not used in Genesis 18, but this text reveals this friendship with particular clarity. I think it's probably especially this passage that that Isaiah and other passages are looking back to when they describe Abraham as the friend of God. But not only did Abraham become a friend of God, Jesus said in John 15 that his disciples who abide in his word are his friends. I do not call you servants, he says. Servants don't necessarily know what their master is doing. They're just supposed to do what their master is doing, but they don't really have that, that relationship with their master, that, that cl- uh, closeness, that fellowship uh, with their masters. But, but the friends, they communicate, they talk, they share their minds. 
And so Jesus says, I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I have let you in on this. I have revealed it to you. The whole counsel of God. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. So there's both this revelation to his friends and the reception of the prayers of his friends uh, that we find both in Abraham and as well as in what Jesus says. And so God makes his people friends, friends of him. He reveals his ways to them. He listens to their prayers. And so may his friends remember his word, observe it, observe it with their families like Abraham and respond to his word with prayer. We find not only does God receive Abraham into friendship, but we also see Abraham described in this passage uh, living as a friend of God, listening to his word, acting upon it, uh, drawing near to him, and praying. And this is an example for us. So first I want to look at how God reveals his ways to his friend, and then how God receives the prayers of his friend. In verses 16 through 21, we find that before God told Abraham about his intentions towards Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, that he explains why he's going to tell Abraham his intentions towards Sodom and Gomorrah. They've been uh, sitting together at the tent, and now they get up, and Abraham's going to see them on their way. Uh, They were in a, a high plain, and Sodom and Gomorrah were cities of the plain way below in the valley. And so they doubtless could overlook the valley and, and see where they were headed. And the Lord, uh, as it were, deliberates, you know, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? You know, no, I, I, I'm not going to hide what I'm about to do uh, because Abraham's going to become a, a great and mighty nation. The nations of the earth will be blessed in him. I've chosen him. I've chosen him so that he might uh, command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord so that I might bring these things to pass for Abraham. These are reasons why, why he reveals his thoughts to him. We find some of these key promises repeated, that Abraham would become a great and mighty nation, uh, a nation unto the Lord. Uh, from him would come Israel, and uh, through his offspring uh, would come the Christ. And through Christ, all the people of God, Jew and Gentile, even today, we are children of Abraham, and God is still true to this promise to raise up a great and mighty nation, uh, the household of Abraham, and that through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed, that through his offspring, through Christ, through his church, this blessing would not be just for one uh, ethnic group, but throughout the world, all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him, not could be blessed in him, you know, have the opportunity to be blessed in him, some of the nations in the earth, a few people here and there. No, all the nations of the earth would be blessed in him. Furthermore, God had chosen Abraham for this purpose. God had initiated this, uh, this event. He had chosen Abraham. Uh, he had begun the task, and so he will see it through. In verse uh, uh, 19, Uh, It says, for I have chosen him, uh, literally, for I have known him. Uh, The idea of know here, though, is is that uh, personal knowledge, not just simply knowing about someone, but knowing someone, 
And he has known him. He has set his love upon him. He has chosen him out from serving idols in the land of Ur and brought him to himself. He has chosen him and known him. It was of God's grace he had called Abraham from the ends of the earth, as Isaiah says. And this is true of all God's friends. Uh, Typically, you can be uh, choosy about your friends. You know, you don't get to pick your siblings, but you do get to choose your friends, and God uh, chooses uh, his friends. Uh, It is of his grace. As Jesus told his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Uh, Jesus had uh, chosen his friends, his disciples, and he still does today. Uh, We are lost in sin until in his mercy and grace uh, he sets his love upon us and as he had intended to do, delivers us from sin and takes us to himself. And so having chosen and called Abraham, God would not abandon him in the dark. As Paul says, God will bring to completion the work that he has begun. And so, having brought Abraham close to him, God would reveal his mind to him. He shall not hide this from him. And so, Christ also reveals all that he has heard from the Father to us, the whole counsel of God. And not only that, he wasn't simply chosen, but he was chosen for a purpose. God chose him to lead his house in the way of the Lord. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. And so God is going to instruct Abraham so Abraham can instruct his household. Abraham has to be a student uh, before he is a teacher. Uh, he is, has this mission, this commission to, to instruct his children and even to see to it that his household after he dies would continue to walk in the way of the Lord, to keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness, to do justice. God doesn't choose people so that they're simply still and do nothing, uh, to be the frozen chosen, uh, just to sit there and and do nothing now and wait for you to be picked up in in time to come. No, God has chosen you that. Uh, That you might keep the way of the Lord. That you might uh, lead others to keep the way of the Lord. You have a calling, a place in life where you now serve the Lord. As Jesus said, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. You have been chosen for a a goal. You have been set on a path now. So as a purpose of God's election, as a result of God's election, Abraham and his household would obey the Lord. A friend of the king is going to, to be devoted to his commandments. As Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And Abraham would do this personally and lead his household as well. So, uh, see to it that you understand his word that he gives you for this purpose so that you might use it. I mean, don't stop at hearing it, uh, but understand it. Don't stop at understanding it, but practice it. And don't stop there either, but teach it to your children, charging them uh, to do righteousness and justice. As Moses said in Deuteronomy 29, the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The revelation, the revealed things that God has given to you, belong to you and to your children 
You must not deny them their inheritance, uh, their rights. God has not hidden these things from you, so do not hide them from your children or from your children's children. They belong to us that all of us may practice it. And so, fathers, may you learn to instruct your children in the word of God. God spoke to him that he might pass on the word. This is especially a call to fathers, because Abraham was a father, but of course, mothers as well, uh, as to be instructing their children in the way of the Lord. Fathers are to study God's word that they might teach their children. May fathers also learn to use their authority to guide their household in godliness. It says that he commanded them to keep the way of the Lord. Uh, This might apply to little decisions from day to day to guide the household in good deeds like we saw last week, right? In hospitality. All right, you need to prepare the calf. You need to make some bread. Let's do this together. And Abraham's busy himself as well as they combine together to do this good work. But it's also the overall vision that that Abraham gives the household, charging them and his descendants forever to keep the way of the Lord. This is my charge. Fathers ought not to be overbearing in their authority. They certainly ought to teach and persuade as well as to command. But they also should not belittle themselves in false humility and abdicate the weight that they have been given. And to use it, they should use it wisely. And so like Abraham, teach the next generation and teach it with the goal that even after you die, they may keep the way of the Lord. He was to, keep, to command his household after him. Uh, his work was, was not just for the moment, not for the present, but rather to pass on this faith that it would flourish even after his death, that it would extend from generation to generation to teach his children that they might teach their children so that they would teach their children. The goal is that your children may walk in the way of the Lord of their own accord and teach their children. You're training your grandchildren as you teach your children. And how you train your children will likely leave a mark on this earth for good or ill that will endure beyond your death. You'll not see all of its impact, even as Abraham did not see all of it. And the last point in this, in this section, in verse 19, which is uh, so rich, is that not only did God choose him, and he chose him for this, this work, uh, but that through this work, God would bring to Abraham what he had promised him. So that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. The obedience of Abraham and his children would be instruments God would use to fulfill his promises. How would God raise up a great and mighty nations? How would he bless the nations through Abraham? In part, because Abraham would teach and command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing justice and righteousness. They would not earn it by their works, but God would use them and their works. So do not presume upon God's promises without acting upon his word. He has promised to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. That was chapter 17, but then don't forget the chapter that comes after, chapter 18. Do not expect the nations to be blessed without letting your light shine before men. Do not expect your children to walk with the Lord without instructing them to walk in the way 
of the Lord. Matthew Henry said, Those that expect family blessings must make conscience of family duty. If our children be the Lord's, they must be nursed for him. If they wear his livery, they must be trained up in his work. And so, friends of God, consider that you have been chosen by God, and you have been chosen to help accomplish his mission. He reveals his ways to his friends. He takes you into his counsels, and he includes his friends in his work. Does God need you? Does God need preachers? Does God need parents? Does God need... He could just send angels, right, and tell everyone everything. Uh, God could accomplish it by his word, but he decides to use the people that he saves to bring about what he has promised. This is a privilege for the saints to be raised up from the dust and then given a task for the glory of God. God's goal is to make Abraham's offspring a great and mighty nation and to bless all the nations. And God does this through the offspring of Abraham, through Christ and his church. Christ, of course, is the the chief offspring. Without him, we could do nothing. He purchases redemption. He applies redemption. But with Christ, we can bear much fruit. Christ commissions and empowers his church to bring this salvation to the next generation and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is the light of the world, and then he calls his people the light of the world because they bear Christ to the world. So Christ charges and equips parents to raise up their children in the training and discipline of the Lord. Christ charges and equips ministers to gather and perfect the household of God. Christ charges and equips the whole church to be a light to the world and a help to one another. And so, as God worked through Abraham toward the fulfillment of his promises, so work and hope he continues to use and to work through his friends today, and has revealed his word to you for this purpose. He has revealed to you his mighty works, so that you might know that all that Sodom and Gomorrah stuff, that wasn't just an accident, wasn't just a, a scientific combination of explosions in the air. No, God is at work in this earth, and he is a God who reveals his character through his revelation. He has given you his word, opened your eyes by his spirit, so study his word that you might keep the way of the Lord and teach your children to do likewise, to work with him as his friends. So God reveals his word to his friends. Uh, He's not treating you as slaves that do not know anything about what their master is doing. He does not hide these things. And then in verse 20 and 21, he goes ahead and and says it then. Accordingly, the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Why does he say this? He says it so Abraham would know it as Abraham is standing uh, with him. These words are spoken to see how Abraham would react, uh, to, to reveal this knowledge so that Abraham could interpret the events that were about to happen. And so Abraham responds by praying, and God receives the prayers of his friend. The message was one of judgment, that God would judge Sodom and Gomorrah. He would investigate like a good judge, 
He would go down, God would go down to Sodom and Gomorrah to evaluate, to judge, just as he had gone down, in a sense, to the Tower of Babel, even as he had had looked upon the earth before the flood. Of course, God is everywhere. He knows all things. But he would manifest his presence through these angels and visibly test Sodom and Gomorrah for the sake of Abraham and Lot. So we would know that God is a just God and, and, and evaluates and, uh, and does so justly. Verse 22 says that the men went towards Sodom while Abraham still stood before the Lord. In verse 1 of chapter 19, we find that two angels went to Sodom. One of the quote-unquote men, had stayed with Abraham, or two had gone on. And in this way, the Lord went down to Sodom and stayed behind with Abraham. Now, to me, this seems to indicate that all three men were angels and that God's presence and word were with all three. But, like I said, most people explain this by saying that the two were angels and the other one was the pre-incarnate Christ who stayed with Abraham. Um, in any case, the Lord goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah and the Lord stays with Abraham, that he had heard an outcry from the city, perhaps the outcry of shed blood, like Abel's blood, perhaps prayers that Lot had offered, praying that God would do something about the wickedness that tormented his soul as he saw it around him. God may delay for a time, but he will not ignore sin. Without repentance, sin leads to judgment and death. But on that note, Abraham goes to the Lord. He draws near. Abraham hears what the Lord said, and so he prays for Sodom on behalf of the righteous remnant. He humbly pleads with the Lord. He uses arguments. He, he lays out his case. He explains, Lord, this is why, why you shouldn't do this. Uh, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He asks questions. He presents reasons. Shall not the judge of the earth do what is right? And his his argument essentially is there may be righteous people in uh, these cities. Uh, Will you also judge them and treat them just the same as the wicked as you judge them for their sins? Spare these cities if you find the righteous among them. Will Will you judge it if you find 50? And then after he hears that the Lord would spare the city for 50 righteous, well, what about if five are missing? Would you destroy it for the lack of five? Uh, And and no, 45 are there, and that's good. What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And in each case, the Lord says, no, I will spare the city if there are that many righteous living among the city. We can learn several things from this prayer of Abraham. First of all, God has welcomed you as his friend, so draw near and pray to him. It's a privilege. It's a blessing. It is fitting and right. How ungrateful would we be to neglect this opportunity? God has spoken to us, and we are called to speak to him. God's word and prayer go together. Scripture talks about how it's it's an abomination to pray without listening to him. The person who despises God's word and only has stuff to say to God, that's not the way it's supposed to work. But also when God speaks to us, we ought to listen to it, but then also respond ourselves to pray to him, to cast our burdens upon him, to, 
to call upon him to fulfill what he has spoken, uh, to act in accord with his character. Respond to God's word with prayer. Secondly, we can see the content here. Pray for God's mercy and justice. Abraham asked for mercy and justice. He asked for mercy, spare the city, do not carry out this judgment. And his argument was justice. This would be unjust for you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. Uh, Do justice to that righteous remnant that dwells in their midst. Protect them. So likewise, make supplication for the saints, uh, for the righteous ones, not those who are righteous by strict judgment, for none was righteous except Christ in that respect, but those who have been made righteous by grace, uh, righteous by faith, righteous in sincerity of, of heart, those who are typically in Scripture called the righteous, righteous Noah, righteous Lot. And Abraham's main focus was on the righteous, that God would protect them, spare the city on their behalf. We are told in Scripture to make supplication for the saints, pray for their welfare, their endurance, pray for one another, pray for their protection, their victory, seek God's mercy for them. They ought to be your delight, your cause of sorrow and joy to seek God's mercy on their behalf. Of course, the greatest confidence comes from the fact that Jesus Christ is interceding on behalf of his saints, that he pleads the promises of God and the merits of his blood, and through him our prayers too are presented to God and pleasing to him. But not only make supplication for the saints, but make supplication for your country for the sake of the church in its midst. Abraham asked that God would spare Sodom for the sake of the righteous in it. So Jeremiah told the exiles to pray for the welfare of Babylon. For it's well, in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. So Paul wrote to Timothy, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice Paul both points out the advantage for the saints in this life, that as God guides and blesses kings and all in authority, it would be for our good that we could lead quiet and godly lives, similar to the Jews in Babylon. We pray for our leaders, for all people, for the sake of the saints, But he also appeals to the spiritual benefit for the people at large. God desires that all kinds of people be saved, so pray for them. Uh, Plead for mercy on the basis of the presence of the righteous among the nations, and pray also that this reprieve may lead to their repentance and salvation. Thirdly, we can learn to use reasons in your prayers. In your prayers, biblical prayers, we don't only find them saying, Lord, please do this, and please do that, and please do this, and please do that. But also you find the, the psalmist and others laying out their condition. This is miserable. I feel like this. Oh, Lord, why is this happening? Will you not fulfill your word? Uh, there's no gain in this happening. Uh, why don't you do this? This is what accord with your character. You are a God who is righteous. You did this for your people in the past. God loves to be overcome by weight of arguments and the arguments are founded upon his word 
upon his character, as we confess the truth about him, as we lay out our case before him. And so Abraham appeals to the fact that God is a judge of all the earth, who does what is right, uh, that the Lord uh, looks with mercy upon uh, the righteous, uh, that he would spare them as a father spares the son who serves him. So appeal to God's character, appeal to his promises as you uh, strive with him in prayer. Uh, Go confidently, go boldly. At the same time, though, fourth is that uh, we should learn from Abraham to pray humbly. Uh, Abraham prays confidently. He argues in some ways, or we might say pleads, entreats God, but he also prays humbly with reverence and worship. He confesses that God is the judge of all the earth, uh, that uh, he is the Lord, and I am but dust and ashes. Do not be angry with me. I, I've be, behold, I've undertaken to, to speak to the Lord, but let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again once more. He pleads for mercy upon his own, uh, for his own self. He uh, confesses himself to be dust and ashes. Uh, Abraham is God's friend, but again, he is not God's equal. He's not overly chummy and, and uh, buddy-buddy with God, even though he is friends and is able to draw near into his presence. So ascribe to God his due. Be confident. Be persistent. Be like that man trying to wake his neighbor in the middle of the night, not going to give up until he gets, out, gets up. But also do not be casual or irreverent, uh, treating God like he is yourself. You are his friend, uh, but not his equal. You are the friend of the king. Now, God responds to Abraham's requests. He not only responds, but he grants them. Yes, even for the sake of ten. If there are ten righteous there, uh, I will spare uh, the cities. He does not ignore the prayer of his peoples, uh, of his people. Prayer is a means he has appointed uh, to to do his work. Uh, He uh, seeks his people to pray, and he responds to their prayers. Of course, he had ordained from all eternity to respond to those prayers. But yes, the prayers of his people are a means he has ordained that he answers. God has a special eye to the righteous, and he is willing to spare the wicked for a time for their sake. The righteous are a blessing to their city in, in various ways, for their immediate welfare Uh, for the fact that God doesn't strike everyone dead right now, and also potentially for their spiritual good. The saints are the salt of the earth, uh, preserving it from rotting and giving it uh, health and and light. Learn also that the righteous can be found in unexpected places. Abraham uh, probably knows of Lot, but he uh, thinks perhaps there are righteous there, even though it was a wicked place, and they were great sinners before the Lord. Yet, he thinks perhaps there are righteous people there. We find in Scripture that, you know, Lot lived in Sodom, that righteous Obadiah was in Ahab's court hiding the prophets, that there were saints in Nero's household, that Joanna, one of Jesus' disciples, was in Herod's court. You know the Herod that killed John the Baptist? Uh, That her husband was his household manager? Uh, That you can find saints in some very unexpected places, even today. And the saints who live in especially wicked places especially need our prayers. They need your prayers for protection, 
for perseverance, that they might do what is right and not be corrupted by the temptations that surround them. And they might not suffer along with the people that they work with. Now, the righteous may sometimes suffer with the wicked. Remember when Ketelaomer came and swept up the people of Sodom? Lot suffered with them. Uh, He was taken away as well. And, of course, it was for his sake that the people recovered through Abraham's help. But sometimes the righteous may suffer with the wicked. But God, in time, will make a distinction. And he will deliver the righteous. The judgment of Sodom, like the flood, was a type of the final judgment that will come upon all the earth At the end, that day will come, and God will make a distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who have been made righteous by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and those who have persisted in sin. And on that day, the righteous shall be delivered from God's wrath and from the second death. And so we can say, come Lord Jesus, we can look to that day with hope as a day of acquittal and blessing for the fulfillment of all our hopes. God looks uh, to his saints and has compassion upon them. So in conclusion, God God makes sinners his friends by grace. He did this uh, with Abraham and as the father of the faithful, something that Jesus says we all share, that we are his friends. God raises them from the dust, sets them on high through Christ. God reveals his ways to his friends and he listens to his friends. He reveals his ways through Christ, and he listens to them through Christ. And he has brought us uh, together, chosen us, so that we might uh, work with him, that we, the church, are the bride of Christ, a helper meet for him as he takes dominion of the world, that we ought to raise up children and offspring for God, that we ought to proclaim his gospel among the nations. So as friends of God and Christ, remember his word, observe his word, teach his word, respond to his word with prayer. May God use the words, the deeds, the prayers of his people to glorify his name and to inherit the nations, blessing them through Christ. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for bringing us into your presence, into your covenant, revealing to us the mysteries of salvation, uh, the secrets of your covenant, uh, making known uh, the ways of your grace, uh, warning us of the wrath to come. Uh, We pray that you would continue to bless us, to continue to work in us. We pray that you would indeed have mercy upon our country, that you would have mercy upon us for the sake of your church, which is still here, which still calls upon your name. We pray that you would make our presence fruitful and effectual for the salvation of this nation. We pray, Father, for the nations of the earth, that you would fulfill your promises and your intention, uh, that you would uh, possess them through the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.